You're listening to the Bossy Bonitas podcast with Leslie Ambris and Candace Cruz. Join us as we navigate through the world and learn more about our roots. Each episode will share our experiences, professional tips and tricks, and introduce you to other Bossy Bonitas who are making waves in their industries. Buckle up, it's going to be a fun ride. On today's episode, we had the honor of sitting down with the multifaceted, talented, intelligent Lucy Flores. This Bossy Bonita's resume is that of a true boss. Flores, a former Nevada State Assembly leader, has run for Lieutenant Governor of Nevada and a seat in Congress. Beyond her important advocate work within the political world, she's continued giving a voice to the Latinx community as the founder of the Luz Collective and is now in development with LATV, creating HEFA status. Lucy shares her humbling story of her time in the school-to-prison pipeline, how her parole officer changed the trajectory of her life, and her incredible journey of strong perseverance and long list of accomplishments that are actually changing lives. This episode will leave you inspired and ready to take on the world. You're sure to fall in love with Lucy and fangirl just as hard as we did. Enjoy. Oh, am I, I starting the it? last one, yeah. Okay, hey guys. We're starting this. Apparently, we're going to argue over who's starting it. Welcome back to Bossy It's Bonita. not an argument. It's not an argument. I... <laughs> you want me to start this again? Yes. I kind of like it, Ready? actually. Ready? Oh, we are really starting yeah, this starting again. It. She really maybe doesn't not, like it. Maybe not. Ready? I think it's fine. We'll just start it over. It's okay, funny. fine. I think it's funny. Three, two, one. Pause for effect. I know. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Bossy Bonitas. Apparently, Candace gets to start today. Well, Leslie wants me to start today. She's giving me the side eye. I started the last episode. Okay. Okay, Okay, we're being dumb. I'm sorry. Yeah, we are being dumb. Thank you so much for enduring that. Um, Please, please. That's why they love us. It's fine. We got to be authentic and true to ourselves. It's true. We're weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've just learned to accept it in my my twenty something years of life. I don't do my second number yet. Okay, <laughs> it's such a big number. It's not. It's oh fine. I'm God. embracing it. Good, embrace it because it's it's great. Age, age is nothing but a number. Get wiser with yeah. your years. I will say I do agree with that sentiment. I ha- I'm learning slowly but surely. That if I look back at it. yeah, if I look back at my twenty two year old self to mm. my twenty something self now, there's my twenty eight there's a yeah. huge difference. Yeah. Night and day. But enough about us, because yeah. I'm actually really, really excited about this incredible guest that you you have brought on. So please share, because I do not want to take any of this glory. You have set this amazing thing up. So thank you. So so much positivity. Yes. I love it. Um, so today we are joined by the I'm using intelligent to describe all our guests because they all are, but the intelligent powerhouse quadruple threat. Literally, this woman does it all. Lucy Flores, she's a former uh, state assemblywoman in Nevada. She's an entrepreneur. She is, she's a speaker. Um, she also is just making waves in politics now and really calling people out mm-hmm. and, and bringing, bringing things to the light. And we're so excited to have you here, Lucy. Thank you. Thank Happy you to so be much. here. I'm fangirling, not going to lie, because she sent me everything and I was like, we're having her on. <laughs> I'm sorry, who are we having on? We're having her on. Okay, yes, absolutely. I, was like, Damn, I have so many questions. I feel like I need to make myself less accessible so you know I can I can like you know be more on demand, you know. <laughs> like even more of a get. 
<laughs> you are a huge dick. You're already, you're already there. there. You've already hit that that part. Mm-hmm. No, I but... happen to think that your intro monologue, all of it, was really, really enjoyable. So thank you. Uh, thank I you. think you should just we'll play just the entire thing for for the listener who didn't get to witness that genius. <laughs> no editing. Just do it. I highly encourage it. Just leave it unfiltered. Our, yeah, we'll, our we'll golden girls esque intro. We'll see oh, what the, the listeners. Girls? end up with I mean, not exactly like I've never watched a Golden Girls I've only seen like two episodes I've only it's seen great. two episodes okay also. there you go you all are ahead of the game for me I got gay shamed the other day by my gay friends because they were like uh, they no, love Golden Girls yes apparently <laughs> okay. yes and I was very embarrassed I mean it is Pride Month it is yeah so so now, literally now you really now is the time to really binge. binge everything oh my gosh I, I mean but it. we do know Betty White right yeah. we know who Betty White I mean, is I, I mean her. she's a legend she's so yeah. I feel like we should probably all watch an episode of the Golden Girls yeah that's that's yeah. your homework tonight got it done <laughs> that and what was the other movie uh, um always be my maybe, maybe. Yeah. Always oh be my I'm maybe. totally yeah. watching that tonight. I want to see I'm it absolutely so bad that and Ava's yes. Ava's new show when they see us but oh, I, I need like that. I need like tissues that yeah. one no I can't watch that I, a handful of my friends have been mm-hmm. having dialogue back and forth on Instagram they're like you need to make sure that you have a circle of friends that are there with you that are willing to listen and support and inform you and like just be that background because it's going to be something that you're going to get angry about. Yeah. You're going to get sad about. Like, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of emotion that's about to happen. Yeah, no, like, that's real. And, you know, the thing is, is that those types of stories have not been told. Mm. Um, or they've been sensationalized or they have mm-hmm. been told in ways that aren't um, authentic to the story or their perspective mm-hmm. is, you know, Hollywood or kind of um, whitewashed, if you will. Yeah. And we're now getting to a point where not only are we um, recognizing, right, that that these systems are affecting people of color differently, but in a way now where people are understanding because mm-hmm. of the way in which these stories are being told. Mm-hmm. And they're traumatic, you know, especially for people who've been through the system. Like, you know, I, I kid, like, I... I, told, I tweeted the other day to my friend that I was just going to, I wanted it to get a watch on Netflix because that's important, you know? Yeah. So I was just going to play it and then go to work. <laughs> and But I can't watch it. I mm-hmm. It's too triggering. I've, I've actually been through the school to prison pipeline and mm-hmm. I don't watch anything that is in a prison setting or that, you know, like depicts um, a, a, a prison um, being incarcerated it's it's too traumatic it's like and so you have essentially so many people around this country who are being re-traumatized you know by kind of being subjected to a lot of these stories but at the same time it's really really important to tell them you Mm -hmm. know because people really need to see the reality of of what this has done to millions and millions of people across this country yeah Mm -hmm. i think we get very angry watching it yeah like I mean, I, I watched 13th when it first came out, and it just lit me right? up. Yeah. And then I never watched Making of a Murderer. I could I not watch that those. through because mm-hmm. I watched a couple of episodes, and I was like, this boggles my mind. That this is something that's a reality for so many people within this country. Yeah. And it terrorizes me because I'm like, what happens if something like that ever happens to a loved one of mine or whatnot? It's just, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I'm prepared to be angry and cry, but I'm going to watch it. It'll be like when I watched Fruitvale Station. I watched it alone in my living room, and I was just 
yelling at the TV. I was like bawling and like dry heaving. And my mother comes in. She's like, "Are you, what is?" I was like, "I'm watching a movie." <laughs> <laughs> but it's like based on a true story, so I'm really angry about it. <laughs> and like. That'll probably be the I'll I'll record it and just send the video to you guys of me just messed. Yes, up. please. But I wanted to, if you're comfortable with this, Lucy. You know, you did say that you've experienced that like prison to mm-hmm. to school pipeline. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how that led to you even going to like USC and then getting into politics? Yeah, of course. Um, I uh, I always so people used to always ask me you know how'd you get into politics or you know how did this come about and I used to describe myself well I still do all the time as an accidental politician um, because that's exactly what it was right like none of it was planned none of it was intended and when you think about the typical background of a politician that's starting to change now thankfully you know because we need real people <laughs> with real lives and real lived experiences and real perspectives at the decision-making table when we're making laws and policies that affect literally like the entire country, you know, um, and or thousands of people through city councils or whatever. But like, you know, you need people who understand what it's like to be like a regular freaking American in this country, you know? Um, But even five years ago and 10 years ago and certainly 20 and 30 years ago, there was a certain stereotype, there was a type of person that was acceptable for elected office. And that was generally very well educated, usually Ivy League, um, white, male, old. Um, Sometimes younger, but definitely white and male. And obviously those things are not me. And so, you know, my journey is very atypical. Um, I was elected to the state legislature in 2010. When that occurred, myself and three other Latinas were the first Latinas ever elected to the state legislature in the history of Nevada. That's amazing. Um, but that was so such a far departure from where I came from. I was born here in L.A. I ended up moving to Vegas when I was young, maybe three, four years old, because my brothers, two of my older brothers, um, one of my dad's firstborn sons, they were both murdered around the same time because of drug and gang violence. We were living in East L.A. So my dad took us to Vegas, and um, and so it's almost like my story. I almost feel like it's a Greek tragedy. It's just like all of these tragedies after tragedies that you know resulted in this epic journey. Um, but it it really was that you know um, we were a low income immigrant family. Um, but like many immigrant families in this country, we just figured it out, right? Like you figure it out, you do what you got to do and you survive. And that's what we did. And for the most part, we were fairly happy. My mom then decided that she didn't want to be a mom anymore and she left. And I was nine years old. And that was really like my first, the first instant, instant, instance in which I just kind of didn't know what to do. I was nine years old. My two little brothers who were still at home, of course, um, were three and four years old. My older sister was about 12. My two of my older sisters were still living with us. Um, So there was a lot of us and my mom takes off and I blame my dad, of course. And even though I'm in gifted and talented education at the time in school, I completely just kind of go into a spiral. Um, And I'm not getting the resources that I need in school. So I all of a sudden am trying to kind of be a mom, you know, my my sister, my older sister ends up moving out like two, three years later. Um, She goes off and she gets pregnant, like all of my sisters are getting pregnant and moving in with their boyfriends. 
Um, so, you know, you can imagine there was just a lot of chaos and there wasn't a whole lot of guidance. And my dad was literally working day and night to keep us clothed and fed and he wasn't around and it was just chaos. And without having any kind of uh, guidance or support, there was the only thing that was left for me was gangs and violence and drug dealers and the people who were living in my community. Um, and so without having any supported school, home, that's what I turned to. And so that kind of you know, situation went from bad to worse very quickly. And I started running away and, and just you know doing low level offenses, what we call status offenses. Um, which now we're, we're, we've made progress in terms of decriminalizing um, kind of like uh, juveniles acting out, if you will, mm-hmm. right? So we're no longer arresting them for running away. We're no longer throwing them in jail because they ditched school, et cetera. That's where the school to prison pipeline, that's why it's termed that way mm-hmm. because you're doing these things that if you were an adult wouldn't be illegal, but they're illegal because you're a minor. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing. So... You know, I vividly recall, and it took me a long time to be able to really talk about this without, like, emotionally breaking down. In fact, I, I'm on a podcast literally, like, breaking down. One of the first times that I actually talked about this incident. Um, but I remember being strip searched when I was 12 years old. That was one of the first times in which I started to really get put into the system and um, and be treated like a common criminal. I, I think at the time I had ditched school or maybe I'd run away, it was, but it was, it was a status offense. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really broken the law, mm-hmm. um, but I was processed in the same way that anyone else that did any kind of crime would be processed. I'm fingerprinted, I'm mugshotted, I am stripped down. And you know, you can imagine you're a 12 year old girl and your body is naked and you're just, developing and there you are you know having adults you know see this Mm -hmm. and it it begins the dehumanization process is what it is you begin to feel like you're not it's you're no longer uh as good as anyone else you have been you're kind of chipped away in terms of your value and your self-worth and you know who you are as a person and that happens over time, you know, like, and so you, you're thrown into the cinder block room, you are, it's cold, there's um, literally like these thin mats, plastic mats, and you know, you're 12 and 13 years old and 14 years old, and you're in this orange jumpsuit, and and you're literally just kind of waiting there because your parents um, are not, they can't contact them, because this was also like, you know, back in the day when they cell phones weren't really a thing you know Mm -hmm. and and you're just and you're just there um and then it happens over and over and over again you know like your behavior gets worse um and mine did of course and I started hanging out with gangs and getting arrested more often and the crime was escalating and rather than there being any kind of intervention it was literally just this cycle right you know where completely dismissed you as just oh she's a lost cause who cares but you know the thing Mm -hmm. is is that that was not unique for me right that Mm -hmm. was the way all of the kids for the most part you Mm -hmm. know like there was just a bunch of black and brown kids that were being churned through this system and yeah i was just a number and so it wasn't until this happened for several years i ended up actually being sentenced to a long-term institution in the middle of nowhere in Nevada because again that's what we do to young people and and adults as well right mm-hmm. like we literally do the opposite 
things of what would actually help them. Like yeah. we do the yeah. opposite. We're like, how can we make this worse? Yep. And what does that look like? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Like that's literally the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. right? That's the movie that they were talking that yeah. you know, Ava DuVernay's movie. Yeah. And and you know, and that's and you can imagine like literally hundreds of thousands, millions at this point, millions of young people who have been treated this way and you can imagine the futures that have been lost, the potential that has been lost, literally the humanity that has been lost because we do exactly the opposite. We actually hurt these young people instead of helping them. Mm -hmm. So I was in the middle of Nevada. I'm released after almost a year. I was sentenced to nine months to a year um, for stealing a car and doing, I had this low level police chase I say it was like it wasn't a high speed chase, you know, because like low speed. But yeah, I it was still pretty it was still pretty serious. So, <laughs> I tried to, I'm like, at least it wasn't high speed, you know, I was going like 40 and 50 and not like 100, you know. So anyway, um, but yeah, they caught me because I wasn't very good. I was like not a very good criminal. I just got caught a lot. If it was in California, you would have had a whole TV That's Right, yeah. exactly. Facebook Live, yeah, everybody it watching it. Night, and there was like, you know, well, we used to call it the ghetto bird, but you know, the helicopter mm-hmm. with yeah. the light. It was just like a movie. I, I see them filming movies all the time, you know, like cop scenes, you know, like it was that. It was like totally could have been a movie. And like I said, I was just like terrible. I was a terrible criminal because I just always got caught. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I can outrun these guys. So I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like 14 miles years an hour. old. Yeah, exactly. I got this. I mean, it could have been like a comedic scene too. Then I like get out of the car and I run as fast as I can. I'm like in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, on a side of town, it's like very ranch style property and it's dark and I'm like running as fast as I can and I like run face forward into a fence. Oh no. And then like I get this gash on my, on my nose. I still have a little scar from it. And so I, but I'm not a quitter. So let me tell you. Like, <laughs> you start you know, climbing that fence? <laughs> if there is one thing about me, I, everybody, I'm not a quitter. So I like figure out how to get around it and then I run again and like trip oh, on something. God. And then finally, like, I need to find something to hide. Because, you know, like, the genius thing to do is just hide. Because they're never going to find you. Crawl underneath this trailer. There was, like, this trailer, like a like a mobile home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I crawl under there. And I'm like, I'm safe here. But, no. Then they bring the dogs. And I hear the dogs. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, no. They're going to smell me. So I'm like, yeah. And then, like, finally, you know, like, dog finds me. Lights are swirling. Like, everybody's yelling. And it was just, it was, it, I mean, it's in hindsight, it's kind of funny, but not. But. Because it was the first thing that occurred to me, but they, um, I hear the dogs and they're like, get out because if not, they're coming in for you. So mm-hmm. I was like, duly noted, mm-hmm. I am, I am getting out. Scary, so so yeah. I like crawl out. I'm like covered in dirt. My nose is bleeding and, and they hop and they jump on me. Mm-hmm. And in, in of course the way that police do after that kind of an incident. And the first thing that occurred to me was to say, I'm a girl because I just kind of instinctively knew that they were going to just beat the shit out of me, mm-hmm. you know, and they were going to like, they were just going to not be nice. So I just remember screaming, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. And, and like it clicked. And so they kind of like, they, they stopped, you know, they like kind of picked me up a little and they kind of confirmed, you know, they were like, okay, yeah, this is a young girl. It's not even like a girl. It's like a 14 year old kid, you mm-hmm. know? 
and and it was really interesting they were they were like immediately just nicer you know and so you can imagine like if I hadn't said that or if it was a boy mm-hmm. or a young man you know like that's just the way in which law enforcement treats people um of course I had done something very wrong but you know again it's like this training that they have I mean nowadays I'm lucky that they didn't shoot me yeah you know I'm lucky I'm alive I'm lucky I'm just lucky in so many different ways um and yeah and so then afterwards they put me in the in the police car and they took me away again and then I ended up that that was kind of the last straw um but you know it's that's exactly the environment that I was being released into once I came back Mm-hmm. And the system expects you to do better. You know, they give you no resources, no education, no anything, and they just expect you to be better. Mm-hmm. And then they're, you know, judgmental and shocked and, and surprised that the recidivism rate, you know, people that reoffend after they're released from, from prison or jail is so shockingly high. Well, I mean, you're releasing literally someone into the same situation, same mm-hmm. family, same environment, same everything. You're not giving them therapy you're not giving them job skills you're not giving them anything and yet somehow they're supposed to do better yeah right and of course I didn't so I reoffended, and I thought my parole was going to be revoked but that's the moment that changed literally the trajectory of my entire life um, which was I happened to and I tell people all the time that my journey has been a combination of luck and sheer will to survive to thrive to never give up you know that spirit of like I'm no quitter you know but it's not enough to just not be a quitter you need opportunities you need mentorship you need help you need Mm -hmm. skills you need access to education you need these things and that's what I was very lucky to get because I ended up having a parole officer who gave a shit Mm -hmm. she was literally this woman um, who cared I mean, it's just as simple as that. She literally cared about each one of the young people that she had on her caseload. And I was one of them. And so when she had the opportunity to revoke my parole, which I thought she was, Mm -hmm. she didn't. And that was literally the first time ever that I felt I was resigned. I I was I was like, this is my destiny. I'm going to I'll probably just be dead or be in prison forever or, you know, have kids like my sisters or you know like have a dead-end job whatever like there's no future for me and that's what I had really like deeply resigned myself to and when the judge asked my parole officer if what she recommended um, she said your honor I recommend Lucy be released and you know it's just kind of one of those moments where you're just like what (laughs) you know like you're just so in shock because you're you've already resigned yourself mm-hmm. to what you think is going to be the, your the outcome because that's what you see all the time right mm-hmm. it's not like it was a unique situation mm-hmm. like every last person i knew if they messed up their probation got they their probation got a violation or their parole got revoked and they got sent back like that was just normal and so for something to happen that's not normal that's not the expectation of what you think mm-hmm. is going to happen was just mm-hmm. so incredibly life changing and it didn't happen overnight. You know, I I ended up dropping out of high school when I was 17. I did end up choosing to have an abortion when I was 16. Um, I was the first sitting legislator uh, to talk during legislative testimony about my choice to have an abortion simply because it was the right choice for me and not because 
it was medically necessary mm-hmm. or from some traumatic incident like a rape or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course at the time that was groundbreaking and like the collective heads of the extreme right like blew up at the same moment. And it was like this thing. <laughs> like, what? Um, what happened? You did what? Exactly. That's a what? thing? Uh-huh. You're proud of it? Yes, I am. I am not ashamed of that choice. You know, and I said that. Like, that was really important to me. But anyway, ended up doing that. And so I, I still very much struggled, right? It wasn't like a Lifetime movie. Although, you know, I think... One day maybe I'll have a lifetime movie, but no, I mean we're gonna like what we're gonna have like an HBO. Yeah, movie. I think we'll go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No offense to Lifetime, <laughs> we love Lifetime as well. Yes, we just want to have a little bit more grit to it rather than like the happy like flowers. No, stuff. it's not happy, not flowers <laughs> at all. I mean, there was some, you know. There's always joy in everything. There has to be, otherwise. What's what the do point? You do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there has to be somewhere. Just get up and. Walk right into that fence again. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so that was, it, it was, it was years of, um, of additional mentorship, of not giving up, of feeling like there's something out there for me. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something because this woman believes in me and nobody else did. And um, so it took like a solid five years at least. I ended up getting my GED when I was 21. Um, I started community college right afterwards when I was about 22. Um, I transferred out to USC. Uh, and, you know, all of this was so, in, mm-hmm. it, it was such an interesting experience too because so much of what I did truly was accidental, mm-hmm. but it was also fortunate, right? That's why I tell people like, the reason why I ultimately ended up running for office and why I was so open about my background and why I've been so open about all of my experiences is because this country, the things that, that we grew up believing about this country are no longer true, mm-hmm. if they were ever true at all, Yeah. right? This concept of the American dream and how if you just work hard and you study and, and you, do the, you do it the right way, mm-hmm. you can live the American dream, you can achieve the American dream. And that is a crock of bullshit. Mm-hmm. It is a crock of bullshit that we are fed, collectively fed to, you know, like, uh, convince ourselves that somehow this system is not rigged and stacked against everyday people mm-hmm. like us, yeah. like me. Yeah. And that if it were not for those lucky moments, I would not be here because I could have been just like any of the, any of those young people who got caught up in that system because they did get a shitty parole officer who didn't mm-hmm. give a shit about them or they did get um, caught up in a situation, you know, in, in California, we've now reformed some of the laws and across the country, we've started reforming the laws where things like, like felony murder is no longer a thing. Felony murder is a situation where if you're in a group, the four of us decide we're going to go rob a convenience store. We're not going to do that, but if we did <laughs> and, <laughs> and you decided, right. And we decided that, you know, like some one of you decides you're going to pull out a gun. And even if it's not intentional, even if it's an accident, one of you shoots the clerk. The clerk dies. All of us will be convicted of murder. No, You could be outside in the car, but because you were involved in the commission of a crime, all of you, all of us, we're all going to prison for the rest of our lives. Wow. And and that's and and that what used to be a thing and there's a like so many people in prison because of it, right? So I think about about my experience and I think like 
holy shit, how lucky am I? How mm-hmm. lucky? And in many ways, you know, I kind of had to come to terms with this as well because I think I, I, I realize it now. I, I don't think I realized it as I was going through my life all these years that I experienced a lot of survivor's guilt, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I used to just like, I channeled it in the right way, you know, where I used to say, I, I got this opportunity, I got this second chance at life for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and that reason is to serve my community and to help others and to leave this place a little better than I found it because for what other purpose did I get that chance, mm-hmm. you know? But it, in many ways, I also felt like, why? You know, why was, why did I get that person? Sorry, I'm just tired, I've been like, awake for many hours (laughs) usually I'm better at not being emotional you're good um but you know there's there's that there's that tad of you know why why did I get that really incredible parole officer and my best friend who I witnessed getting stabbed multiple times when I was 12 years old didn't or you know the countless other people who I grew up with who um didn't make it and didn't get the opportunities that I got so that that's really you know that matters to me in a way that that informs you know the my approach the rest of my work the way that i think about um you know the way in which we think about systems Mm -hmm. and the way in which these systems truly are not designed and they are not functioning for the purpose of helping people Mm -hmm. and and so when i say that i'm an accidental politician I'm really truly accidental in, in many, many ways. And I'm really fortunate that I didn't get caught up in a situation where, you know, that, that fateful night that I decided to endeavor on that ridiculous car chase, that someone didn't get killed. You know, we were on a beer run that day. We, me and my friends, like that's a thing where you would just like run into a convenience store and like grab a bunch of stuff and then run out, you know, like, I don't know, what if on that occasion, instead of that happening, the person I was with just shot the clerk or we ran somebody over? I mean, anything, right? Like literally anything. And so we have to approach the way in which we think about our laws and and policy and government in a way that truly is, does justice to the spirit of this country, because this country was not founded on equity and justice mm-hmm. and this whole belief of everyone being equal, right? Like, that's garbage, too. That is yeah. the biggest like, lie. Right, to, <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> black people were not considered fully human. Like, we were not talking about equity and equality. Women were not even mentioned. We're not even nope. mentioned once in the damn Constitution. Mm-mm. So, to be clear, you know, people, it really just bugs me when, you know, especially, like, white privileged people um, you know, or like, I don't even recognize this country. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> where have you been all these years? Like, cause I recognize this country fully, yeah. you know, like I see you now you're actually showing your true colors. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's not to say that this country, you know, it, I, of course I was always accused of not loving my country enough or not being patriotic enough. Dissent is the most patriotic thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And critique of your government is the most patriotic thing you can do. Because that is how we get towards a more perfect union. Mm -hmm. If there's anything that they got right, they got a sense of language and this idealism, Mm -hmm. right? They got that right. 
but we did not start from a perfect place. And at the very least, they recognize that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but their perfect place is probably like this utopia where it's like all these rich white men who are just like, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's kind of the, the situation they were living in, but mm-hmm. they want it even better. <laughs> they were like, rich white men who got to take advantage men. of brown women. And <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's, that's my journey, you know? And, um, and it continues, I guess. Um, I don't, I don't know any other way to function other than just, (laughs) I don't know, just, you know, on my Facebook, I have, um, my tagline that says, uh, I'm not an angry brown woman. I just, wait, actually I just got my tagline wrong. I'm not an angry brown woman. Injustice just pisses me off. I love that. And you know, and like, that's it. Like, I just, you know, I get upset at, at things that are not fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I get upset when we know how to fix them and we don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's it. That's just it. You know, like that's actually how I ended up getting involved in politics. I was at SC. Um, I, again, was lucky. In many ways, I was lucky because I was so naive and I nobody talked to me about college, of course. You know, right. like that just wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So I figured it all out on my own. And I applied to SC, not really realizing like how competitive it was or you know how difficult or how expensive it was and I remember I applied Mm -hmm. and and it said we meet 100% of your financial need and that was like their their financial policy it's still Mm -hmm. their financial policy and like the only thing that I could that I remember thinking to myself was well clearly I have a lot of need Mm -hmm. so (laughs) we match so thank you Uh amen sign me up (laughs) (laughs) yes SC (laughs) we match so I applied and I, you know, I joke again and I tell people that, you know, someone chose the wrong stamp that day because they had approved and there I was off to SC and like, it was so surreal because I was like, all I knew about college was what I'd seen on TV, which was yep. like white frat boys mm-hmm. drinking beer. So I was like, <laughs> where are the white frat boys drinking beer? I found them. Yeah, like, you, I was pretty, pretty, I'm pretty, sure you did find them. Pretty there are there. <laughs> Especially at USC. But, there. oh yeah. So yes, definitely found them. But it was just so, I, I was on this college campus and it's just such a beautiful campus. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the movies, you know, and, and I just felt like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't, it's not that I didn't feel that I belong there. I just really didn't know how I got there. Mm. (laughs) You know, I was like, holy shit, I'm actually here. I had to remind myself every time I walked on campus. Right. Wait, I'm here? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I got in? Yeah. Are you serious? Exactly. And you're just like, you're processing Uh it, you know, because you know, unlike the folks who paid for their spots, like we, <laughs> we legitimately had to earn it, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like above and beyond, not just like earn, but mm. like earn, earn, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I ended up coming across, I took a psychology and law class while I was there and I ended up studying wrongful convictions and wrongful convictions and finding out about how people are wrongfully convicted in this country and mm. how often it occurs and that this country has actually killed innocent people who've and people have lost you know decades of their lives like 20 30 40 years and there was something about that that just seemed so fundamentally wrong to me Mm -hmm. because it was like again this idealism of like freedom right like this country was founded on this idea of your freedom and we all have freedom of speech and freedom freedom to pursue happiness and 
it was just this concept of freedom and to think that we were so easily taking that away from people, mm-hmm. right? Like you could literally just like get caught up in a, again, a system, right? Yeah. Where you have a witness who is very compelling and because our, our mental biases and the way in which our memories are faulty and you know mm-hmm. all of this psychology and research that exists now that we know how faulty memory recollection is and how yeah. racial biases affect those memories. I mean, you had people being convicted because you had a, a woman who, who was very compelling in her testimony and was like, yeah, that's the guy. And it turns out like the actual suspect, you know, was like four feet taller, mm-hmm. and, you know, different color hair, yeah. like not even close. Right. And yet you have this witness that was compelling because she was a white woman or because she was privileged in some way mm-hmm. or whatever. And and there you go, convicted, yeah. done, bye. Which again, back to Ava DuVernay's story, right? That's what happened yeah. with these four young people mm-hmm. with the Central Park four, Central five. Park five, mm-hmm. Central Park five, you know? And so I don't know, it was just, that just like really bugged me, you know, yeah. like that fundamentally was like, you know, we just, that's the crux of what we value is our freedom. Mm-hmm. And here we are just taking it away. And then these people sometimes get released after 20 and 30 and 40 years of their mm-hmm. freaking lives being taken from them. And they're released back into nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, they we give them no tool, no nothing. Yeah. yeah and you it's know, like, oh, we're sorry. Right. Like, my bad. Uh-huh. You know, like, but we're going to let you out now. And and so there weren't any compensation laws, you know, and all. So all of that stuff started to, to, to mm-hmm. pass. And that's what got me really thinking about, like, wow, we can, we, you can actually make a difference. People can make a difference because mm-hmm. I learned about the Innocence Project. And I learned about these law students who mm-hmm. were taking on these cases pro bono and getting these people released, mm-hmm. you know, these men released after all of these decades in prison. And and I thought to myself, like, that's that's really cool. Like, I could do that, you know? And so I was like, well, I'm going to go do that then. <laughs> and so I, moved, I went back to law school to Vegas with this idea that I was going to launch an innocence project. And... Um, convinced my crim law teacher in my first semester of law school to like let me do a survey and you know like get this innocence clinic started because in the state of Nevada there wasn't even though there was law school there was no local organization taking cases of wrongful conviction there was no claims of wrongful conviction that were being handled in Nevada and that didn't make any sense to me Mm -hmm. you know I was like why are these cases being handled in the closest place Salt Lake City when we have a law school right here like mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. want to help I'm sure they want to help you know like it just seems so logical to me mm-hmm. and um, so after I did that I'll, I'll again another situation I'll never forget I went into this office of this man this older professor who led all of the clinics and I gave him my research and my surveys and I had like you know all like my case <laughs> all prepared and made and I remember walking in and his feet were on his desk and he was like leaning back. So he didn't even bother to take off his feet and listen to what I had to say. So I'm like placing my my papers and everything like on his desk next to his feet. And I make my pitch and he literally says to me, you will never see an innocence clinic at this law school in your lifetime. What? And I was like crushed. Did he give you a reason why? why? Because it just wasn't anything that he believed anybody would be interested in. And, you know, like, you would need faculty for it. And there's, like, all of these obstacles, all these reasons. All things that he could have easily provided. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's 
so annoying. Well, let me tell you, two semesters later, there was an innocence clinic yes. at the Boyd School of Law. Yeah. <laughs> and to his credit, years later, he apologized. Oh, wow. And so I really respect him for that because he's I like, know. I remember when I told you you would not see this and you did it anyway, and mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you. So that was really cool. But, you know, I, I guess it's just that. It's been that doggedness, mm-hmm. you know, that um, when I decided I was going to run for office, I was a 3L law student, and it only took a couple of weeks in the legislature. So that's how I ended up in the legislature. We did, um, I was doing wrongful conviction, pro bono lobbying for wrongful conviction mm-hmm. reform through the clinic that I started, that I to- was told was never going to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, And I ended up in the legislature in Carson City, and you know, like completely again, like out of my element, but that didn't really take me long to figure out that like, you know, half the people there shouldn't be there. Because um, I was like, yo, if y'all can do this, I can definitely do yeah. this because I'm like way smarter. Um, but I, I mean, it. like that's real. So anyway, I love it. I love no, 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 there are some really incredible people. I, I worked with amazing, super, super smart colleagues, but some who, you know, frankly shouldn't have been there. Um, and so I thought to myself, like, I can definitely do this. Mm-hmm. And so towards the end of the uh, legislative session, a couple of people had said, you know, you should consider running. And um, I did think to myself, like, there's no way. There's no way that anybody could vote for a 3L law student who's never actually had, like, a permanent career and, like, all these things. And I'm, like, mm-hmm. an ex-felon, you know, and, like, all these things. And I'm, like, there's no way. Um but I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, that's why I always tell people that you really just, when you do the thing that moves you, everything else follows. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that the work that I was doing, we had passed the, the legislation, the reform legislation. Wow. So I thought to myself, you know, if I did this as a student, as a law extern, mm-hmm. like, what can I do as an actual legislator? And that was very powerful to me. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like I can do something that's even bigger than what I've had the opportunity to do so far. And that just really fulfilled me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I just was like, okay, I'm gonna run. And I ended up winning. I actually finished up my law degree, uh, ran, ran my campaign, was elected, graduated, and then sat for the bar the following year during my first legislative session. So all in about a course of a year. So, you know, I, I always tell people, like, busy is not an excuse. Because mm-hmm. clearly, there's a lot <laughs> you that can you do can it. do. So, yeah, that's, that's kind, of, kind of where I am. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, the elections and the digital media. And, of course, I know you want to talk about Joe Biden. You know, you've told us now about, like, the amazing accomplishments you've done, which I love it, especially when you – that or was it his, your professor was wrong chief massage <laughs> clearly <laughs> and i wanted you so you've gone you went from politics and then from politics to me too and then the loose collective so can you talk a little bit just briefly about that jump what made you want to go into digital media and cover storytelling from yeah. that aspect and the mm-hmm. activism yeah there? again totally just not planned um apparently i had a lot of unplanned things in my life. <laughs> So I lost my 2016 congressional race, very high profile, 
race, very traumatic in many ways. The person that ended up winning had to ultimately leave because he was outed as a serial sexual harasser. <gasps> Um, yeah, it was, but everybody knew about his inappropriate behavior. So it was just like, you know, this big thing. Um, a lot of, like I told you. Yeah. Um, but I just needed a break. I just, Mm -hmm. I, I was elected at 20, ran at 29, elected at 30. And, uh, seven years later, I was just exhausted. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was progressive before progressive was a thing in Nevada and, and around the country. And it was literally, I tell people, it was like a salmon swimming upstream. Mm-hmm. And after years and years and just years of pushing and challenging and, and you know, in many ways going from like political rising star to black sheep, you know, like the, the jump was, was quick because it didn't take me long for me to be like, what, this is, this is not, this is not what they taught us in those history, but you know, this is like the bill becomes a law like that. This isn't it. This is some garbage, you know, this is like, you're like, what, why are we here if we're not here to actually fight? for the things that we told our constituents we were going to fight for. Mm-hmm. Why are we throwing them under the bus and selling them down the river every single chance we get so that we can be in positions to not lose the majority or not lose a re-election or mm-hmm. keep our lobbyists happy and keep the special interests that fund our campaigns happy, etc. Like constantly, constantly doing this almost like a balancing act between the special interests and going and staying just close enough over the line of literally just selling out, you know, where you can still face your constituents at the end of the day. It was just, it didn't make any sense to me. And I felt like we were selling out our party and our platform and we were just hypocrites and we were lying and I complained about it. And that doesn't make you many friends in politics. So, you know, I, I really went from, again, this like political darling, like up and coming rising star to like, how do we get rid of this girl? Because mm. She is way too loud and she is way too opinionated and someone needs to shut her up. Yeah. And so eventually, you know, they didn't shut me up, but they <laughs> definitely were successful mm. in making sure I didn't win any more of my races. Um, and that's what happened in my congressional race. So... I ended up just really recognizing that I needed to take a break and I didn't want to run for office, at least not at that point anymore. Um, and, but I didn't know what else to do. So I just thought to myself, I'm going to focus on what I've always wanted to do, which is just advocate. Like, how do I, how do I continue to like raise issues and, and give voice to underrepresented communities and just talk about things that are important and how do I do that? And I had no idea what that was going to look like. So I just started talking to friends and mentors and just talking, talking, talking things through, always knowing that whatever that thing was would appear at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that was how I ended up at Mipu. I ended up connecting um, with a colleague who connected me with another colleague. I met Beatriz Acevedo, the co-founder of Mm -hmm. Me Too. And um, it was around the time that Trump was about to be elected and we were facing all these unprecedented things when it came to media and because Mipu was a digital media platform that um, created Latinx content from a Latinx point of view for a Latinx audience and then by extension a mainstream audience, 
it we were dealing with some really unprecedented things. We had never had a presidential candidate directly attack so many communities in the way that we were being attacked. Mm-hmm. Muslims, immigrants, Mexicans, uh, women. I mean, like basically everybody, right? Every everybody except, right, ever. except yeah, everybody exactly. except like, white hey men. You, like, hey yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so they they needed some help, just kind of like strategizing and really thinking about how we could figure that out. And, you know, I had no background whatsoever in digital media. And again, like I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if I could do this, <laughs> but you know, and in my mind I was like, holy shit, I think I've totally gotten myself in over my head. Cause like I talk a good game, but I don't actually know if I could do it, you know? And I was like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. And I, you know, I really just said to myself, like I broke it down in the simplest of terms. I said, look, what is media? Media is communicating. What is communicating? Communicating is talking. I can talk, therefore I can do this. Like that was literally <laughs> done. Easy. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah, it. That was literally what I said <laughs> to myself. I'm like, I'm good at talking. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a lot of learning. It was like a steep learning curve, but I just love that I could be at a platform working on content that that you know gave voice to all of these issues and and highlighted people doing incredible work in our community and and it was just an amazing opportunity so that's how I ended up in in digital and when I left me too that's how I ended up forming the loose collective and launching my own digital media company mm-hmm. that focuses just on Latinas and uplifting Latina voices um, and and just really recognizing that there's such a an there's such a need, there's such an, uh, like a crisis in representation yeah. for Hispanic yeah. females in this country, uh, for Latinas and, and the Latinx community in general. Um, you know, there's 29 million Latinas in this country, 29 yeah. million. And you can't name a single festival, a single national organization, like something like something that is recognizable to you that mm-hmm. speaks to just the Latina community. Mm-hmm. The black community is fortunate in that they've been at this longer longer than us, you yeah. know. So they've built stuff up and that's amazing. Like good for them. They deserve that. They need that. Mm-hmm. We need it too. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I'm glad that they have outlets we don't. And so I just really felt like, you know, instead of going off and just getting another job, which I could do I feel really compelled to do this thing that again that fulfills me yeah, and that I feel cool. is is needed and that is necessary and that can help people. Um, and so to me, that was launching the Loose Collective. Mm-hmm. And then you mm. also have a show coming out. I do, LATV, yeah. Which I feel kind of <laughs> goes into that. And I liked the you've said it a little bit right now, but I like the quote that's in the the Hollywood Reporter uh-huh. article, which also that that title is ridiculous. Garbage. Um, it's like garbage. Can we just ridiculous. pull it up verbatim? Yeah. Hold on, you all talk, and uh-huh. I'm gonna find it's it. Ridiculous. <laughs> Give me I saw, one I saw you posted second. it on Facebook, and I was like, Are you? Wait, is that really that somebody <laughs> some editor thought no wait, I got it. Let me write right, this down. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> I guess it's clickbait, but whatever. It's um, total clickbait. But the quote in that article that you say where you I say, you know, brown and Asian communities, you know, they've they've done this thing where they're now like well established mm-hmm. where they can get that representation mm-hmm. and that inclusion that mm-hmm. they deserve. Just saw it. She just saw it. <laughs> it says Joe Biden accuser debuting talk show. For, for Latinx, Latinx. For Latinx audience. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Need to, uh, I, don't, I know. Uh, I, I've been reduced to Joe exclusive. Biden accuser. No, it's, it's exclusive, ridiculous. though. 
ridiculous. Yeah. I'm sorry. Have a decade and then of it ends with a photo and, yeah. of you and Joe Biden yeah, and Eva. And right. it's like, I'm pretty sure if you Google Lucy Flores, a lot of, no, I'm sure of because I did it in preparation for this, a lot of photos come up. Like, yeah. Ridiculous, yeah. but There's several pages. Well, we don't need to give him the time of day at this point. You know what I mean? Forget like, it. you have so many accolades mm-hmm. that make you amazing that yeah. it should not be reduced down to some man's name no, in no, a title. No. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here amazed. I'm like, oh my god, tell me. I know. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yeah. I don't need to talk at all. Uh, I'm just gonna sit and listen like, because me- I'm completely like completely mesmerized, like, soaking it in. Oh, it is, well. what you've accomplished is amazing and inspiring and talk a little bit let's let's get some promo and talk a little bit about the show yeah. um the so it's, it's called it. hefa status so that's one of them so we're in development for two one is a basically a video web podcast mm. so we're distributing in on digital we're distributing via audio in, in podcast format and also um cable broadcast in the fall and it's a very much a, um, a, a, a podcast interview format. Mm-hmm. So it's like talk show isn't really the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, think more, unfortunately, I hate that I, I have to give these examples, but kind of think like Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Complete opposite of Howard Stern, of course, <laughs> yes. like the antithesis mm-hmm. of Howard Stern, but think that setting, you Got know. It. Um, and, and it's fun and it's amazing and it's called Hefa Status and it is literally just to uplift and highlight and underscore boss Latinas. I love mm. it. That's it. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. If you're a boss yeah. Latina, I want you on the show. Yeah. And, you know, and it really is like for the purpose of just bringing out incredible stories, you know, mm-hmm. of different personalities and women who are doing things like across industries and genres, like. I'm not that interested in having, you know, like a bunch of celebrities or super famous people right. like happy to talk to them. But I want to know those stories. I want to hear those stories. And I think other Latinas want to as well. Mm-hmm. I think they want to hear those stories, those journeys of these women who are kicking ass and taking names in construction and yeah. in aerospace mm-hmm. and in fashion design and you know and just like all of these different things because that's where we are we're Mm -hmm. everywhere but Mm -hmm. we're not we're just so erased you know you've heard of um latinx history for morons or history for morons Mm -hmm. i um don't know the the actual title but you know that um john leguizamo like his argument throughout that entire thing is that latinos have been erased Mm -hmm. from history yeah We've been erased by not being included, mm-hmm. you know, like true, we, yeah. we don't like oftentimes when I talk to other and people have the same experience when we talk about uh, when we first learned about various um, Latino figures who did things were active in the civil rights movement or, you know, like Cesar Chavez is not a figure that is known really like outside of the southwest and sometimes even outside of california i had right? no idea i'm from kentucky and i came out and they had a date for it and i'm like who in the world right. is this guy <laughs> who is this dude? like what who is this do? guy we're gonna date for You're it right. cool like, exactly Great. you're like i'll take it <laughs> thanks caesar but you know you're like disney train dogs oh my god <laughs> that's caesar <laughs> But I mean, like, for real, 
Because yes. like, that's like yeah. terrible. That's yeah. absolutely terrible. You have, mm-hmm. and you have like, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. You know, John Leguizamo does a fantastic job of that. But now, you know, that's essentially all the men. The women are even worse. It's like, yeah. dude, we don't so exist. We're just like it's in fine. the back cooking yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, like. I saw like this really incredible story of these Abelitas who were the, the women guerrilla fighters who fought in the um, in the Mexican War. Mm-hmm. And, and these are the women that inspired the Princess Leia yeah. hairstyle. Yes. Yes. yes, yes, I heard about them. Yes. Uh-huh. That, like I didn't, I literally just, I mean, I kind of knew that Guerreras existed, you know, mm-hmm. that the women fought, but I didn't know like that, that they had names and. They rode horses. <laughs> they were just badasses yeah, in general. Badasses. I was like, that is amazing. But that's my point, right? Is that we need to hear these stories. Mm-hmm. We need to be normalized. We need to be brought into the mainstream because that's what we are. We're the biggest demographic of women of color in this yeah. country. Mm-hmm. The biggest. And we are the most underserved. And I just think that needs to change. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for this show. I'm literally just like, I'm, so I'm in awe. <laughs> like, it's so amazing to see, like, because, again, you're saying underrepresented. To, mm-hmm. to, to see all the incredible things that you've done and to now have a platform that you can actually just, like, share that in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's all these working motors and these gears happening that no one knows about. Mm-hmm. Right. That really need to be brought to the forefront. Right. And, again, it's... It's so weird because you brought up a thought that I was having the other day. I was this is a different tangent and conversation, go, go, but go. but like we're talking about I'm an actress as well. So talking about roles and I was doing a period piece in acting class. I was like, I'll never get cast in one, and they were like, Yeah, you will. I was like, Name one period piece that you can think of that has a Latina in it. It's either black or white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. We have no stories of Native Americans. We have no stories right. of Asian Americans, of any of these stories of history right. that are so prevalent, that are erased, and there is no content for us to consume. Yeah. We automatically reduce it down to either civil rights or we got old, like, white British history. Oh, right. That's yeah. it. There's That's so all many, that we watch. Right. So, so where are all words. these stories of that? And then with those being told then it may inform us more and have more of a platform and be listened to moving forward in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. It just boggles my mind. Yeah, we don't no, that's exactly right. schools about these things. No. Like, it wasn't... Um, at the job I'm at currently, we had a series when I first came on, and it was all about these, like, hidden figuras from back in the mm-hmm. time. And I'm sitting there researching, and I'm like, wait, this person did this? This person did that? Yeah. How come I didn't know about this? Like, I didn't know about the Red Power Movement mm-hmm. and, like, Richard Oaks and, like... Jovita y that and all these people. It's like, oh my god! And also, where do you start yeah. looking for this stuff? Because it's so hidden. Oh, I'm like, I don't dig. even know where you to begin. To like, what do so I type hard. in Wikipedia? Yeah. Like, hidden Latina figures. Like, they're gonna be like, I don't know. Question <laughs> mark. Like, like, hold on, give me two it. seconds to find it for you. No, well, and I think that's why that title is so appropriate mm-hmm. because they are hidden. Yeah. You know, like, and you're and you're completely right. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't. We ended up doing this thing for. Um, I think it was Veterans Day or Memorial Day, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were like, oh, let's highlight prominent like bursts in the military mm-hmm. for Latinas. And I ended up finding this profile of the first Latina, I think, like um, fighter pilot wow. or maybe so cool. like Navy general, but like mm-hmm. the first like super high ranking mm-hmm. Latina, like from yeah. the 30s. Um, which was like significant, you know, in like the thirties is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and I found it in like this archive of um, a university, you know, who had done some profiles on on, on Latinas, mm-hmm. and and of course, like we created this little graphic, you know, put it and and you know, like people responded to it like so well. Mm-hmm. That piece did so well, and I think it's like you know, I try to explain it. I'm like, I think it's because people just look at it and they're like, that's freaking amazing. Yeah. You know, I did it like that's so cool. Like again, like. Oh, in the 30s and 40s, you just don't, because you just don't hear about it. And so you don't even fathom that at that time, we were doing some cool kick-ass shit the way Mm -hmm. that we've been doing since basically the dawn of time, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's a really, um, it's a really great opportunity, I think. And, um, (coughs) excuse me. And I think it's, it is very clear that until we really get into positions of influence and decision-making um, that we're not going to be let in. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really my takeaway from my experience in politics in Nevada and, frankly, just in general. We we are existing within a system that was not built for us or by us. Mm-hmm. And we are asking to be let in. Mm-hmm. And power is never taken. I mean, power is never given, it's taken. Mm-hmm. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in. You know, I spent almost a decade of my life asking to be let in, mm-hmm. fighting to be let in. And fortunately, others did make it, you know. Ilhan Omar got elected. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yeah, got elected. Yeah. Uh, you know, other incredible women across the country were elected, like, recently, finally, you know. Like, we're finally starting to yeah. make some inroads, like... Fox they didn't really let us in. Like we still, right, like, <laughs> we still had to kick some doors down, but right. we're, ma- we're making it, you know, mm-hmm. like in, in much bigger numbers. But I really, you know, my lesson was, you know, if they're not going to let me in, then I'm just going to build it myself. Mm-hmm. That's what we have to do, mm-hmm. you know, so. I could listen to you talk all day long, but <laughs> I think we've run out of time. Yeah, we, we've run out. We've we might have to have a part two. Part two. I'm happy to come part, part two. two. I know, I know you wanted to talk about, and I think it is important to talk about the Biden situation because it is much bigger than Biden. It is, it is about consent. It is about sexism. It is about the patriarchy. It is about misogyny. It is about us being able to put language behind situations that are not illegal and they're not violent, but they're still wrong. Mm-hmm. And for many, many, many years, women were just forced to take it and we were not able to really talk about it because we would be ridiculed or we'd be told it's not important it's not a big deal we're being too sensitive etc um but i know that there's millions and millions of women across this country who have experienced situations like i did with vice president joe biden and and again it's not just about him it's about the fact that we have just been forced to live in this way for so long that now we're finally able to say no more Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it's you know it's an important conversation. So I know we ran out of time, but I'm no, happy to come in good. and have a talk. <laughs> I, I would love that. And thank you so yeah, much for coming you for on. Joining us. Thanks for listening to Bossy Bonitas. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Bossy Bonitas for the latest news. Subscribe, rate, and comment on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Plus, read the description below for links and more information about the podcast you just heard. Don't forget to tell your friends, and we'll see you next time.